and Josh Brolin basically functions as the the human manifestation of the fact that shit doesn't make sense and don't try to understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler the Warning Podcast. This is review number 379 with our review of Sicario. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. I thought you were going to say Esteban something. No. I was going to go for maybe Stephen, quote, El Jefe Miller, but I didn't do it. All right. Well, anyways, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler the Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we are talking about Sicario. Uh, how you doing, Steven? Doing okay. Yeah, doing doing better than Bobby Fischer me was a few minutes ago. <laughs> doing better than the film's doing, am I right? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm doing pretty good. I, I caught this movie, was it just last night? Yeah, it had to be last night. No. Yeah, that's right, because yeah, yeah. we, we are, I, I won't incriminate you. Uh, at least one of us had terrible, terrible hangovers <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> Look, I won't incriminate you, but one of us had multiple hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> one of us had hangovers, and both were present <laughs> at the event that caused it. No, we we, I mean, we we can we can we can acknowledge it. There there was some Oktoberfestness that was happening here in San Francisco, and mm-hmm. uh, I know we're just fueling the German cartels by drinking that stuff. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it, I was trying to like cut the head off the snake by drinking all the. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea where, where I was going to go with that. Welcome to Yaris. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so Steven and I drank copious amounts of beer. And uh, I'll just say that I'm glad that I saw Sicario, Sicario Thursday night before we went to Oktoberfest because I'm not sure when I would have dragged myself to the theater to see it if uh, I didn't see it before on the drinking. Yeah, and I forced myself to do the hour-long walk to the theater just to try to cleanse my body of something, only to have it filled with utter darkness. <laughs> oh, Sicario. <laughs> Chris, were you excited for this movie? I don't really remember talking to you about it. No, I I, I was very excited for it. Um, I think I remember a few times I was like, oh, have you seen the trailer for Sicario yet? It looks really good. And you're like, oh, no, I still have to watch it. It was one hmm. of those things where like they never played it in like part of the problem was that we had that period of time where there were, weren't a lot of good things coming out so we were watching a lot of vod stuff or like limited release things and every time we went to the theater they were playing like some documentary or some weird trailer for some movie that wasn't like something that normal humans are going to get to see so yeah. i think that you and i hadn't actually seen sicario together in one place um but yeah i was very excited to answer your question mm-hmm. So was I when I eventually sat down to watch the trailer at some point. <laughs> was it like right before you left to see the movie? No, no. I think it was a few, like a month earlier at least. Okay. Um, and that is despite the fact that I have not seen Prisoners or Enemies. So I have not seen the other films by, not even going to pronounce his name correctly, Denise Villeneuve. <laughs> Works for me. Cool. <laughs> I, I give you credit. Dr. V. That's what we'll call him from now on. 
Anyways, you were, you were saying there was, you were in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, I, I was just saying I, I have not seen any of his prior films, which I imagine they were kind of the reason other people were excited. Like, this guy is a known entity and is a moderately trusted filmmaker. Um, so, like, the trailer pulled me in just on its own merits. Like, no idea of who was involved with the movie or even to a degree what it was going to be about. But it just looked like it would be a brooding, pretty great sort of unpleasant movie <laughs> to watch. <laughs> I'm, my, my own my own uh, verdict is still out on Enemy. It is a very very interesting film, um, which is it, it's one of those things where like I'm I'm not sure who I would recommend it to, but anybody who's seen it, I want to talk at length about it mm-hmm. <laughs> with them. Um, that was one that we never got to review on the podcast, but, uh, definitely an interesting film to say the least. Uh, Prisoners was a film that, uh, I believe I did like, I want to say that I did, but who knows? We, we I reviewed thought you liked it. I, th- yeah. I thought I remembered you liking it. Uh, as I said before, like this is such a fantastic watch that even after, if after I'm done chewing over it, if I somehow come down on the side of those things were just cheap ploys and, and it takes away from my, my overall view of what the quality of the film is it's still such an amazing watch and such an emotional journey that like it it is a must-see yeah yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure i liked it i remember it fondly um uh but yeah carson and i did review prisoners so you can go back in the feeds and listen to what we thought about that film but uh but yeah i wasn't even like when i was excited for this film it was purely based on having just watched the trailer i wasn't even like connecting it in my head to those two other films um, but yeah, I was excited. My my favorite review that I read for this on Letterboxd, I think the guy was serious. I think the person meant this seriously. They said, this movie was boring. Brad Pitt was so old. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I see the vague resemblance. <laughs> To Josh Brolin? No, Benicio del Toro. I think is what they're saying. Oh, got you. He's like a more like <laughs> rugged kind of Hispanic Brad Pitt. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. Now I want to go back and watch the movie again just to imagine that being Brad Pitt. I mean, if you Google right now Benicio del Toro, Brad Pitt, you'll see like lookalike things being shoved side by side. Right. Well, I don't. I don't want to get too distracted because I will just like suddenly go silent trying to Google this. Um, so, so what do you say? We just before I get too distracted, um, what do you say we get into this review? Yep. All right, we're gonna take a listen to the trailer for Sicario and then come back and let you know what we thought. State Department is pulling an agent that specializes in cartel activity. FBI! You'll be part of the team. What's our objective? To dramatically overreact. You're not American. Who do you work for now? I go where I'm sent. Welcome to water. Somebody say a prayer for me. To kill me on Tuesday, bury me on Wednesday. Mom 
Gotta be careful around these people. I just want to know what I'm getting into. You saw things you shouldn't have seen. He's a hitman. He works for anyone who will turn him loose. Speak the truth, even if they crucify me. Bring my soul, even if they change my life. Look the gold, bring the word of God. Beware those poppies that touch a leg, bro, they touch a soul. Nothing will make sense to your American ears. Then they gotta let me go, then they gotta let me go. But in the end, you will understand. All right, so that was the trailer for Sicario. Um, basically, cartels are bad, and uh, an FBI agent is being pulled into some like government task forcey thing to try to go on some mission that she's not really clear on what it's going to be um, to try to bring down cartels or something like that. Um, so, Stephen, what did you think of this film? Yeah, I. So immediately after watching this movie, I texted you. I don't know my exact words, and I don't know if I can find them in time, but I think <laughs> it was something along the lines of Stalling, Stalling. Sicario, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it just, no, it's just Sicario, period, Jesus, period. <laughs> okay, no, no Christ even. Um... <laughs> Yeah, this this movie put me in a weird place. <laughs> um, so, okay, my, my first impression of this movie, from the opening scene, it's a very harrowing, dark, dark movie. Um, I mean, I thought the way it opened was, like, pretty masterful. Like, I was totally on board to watch this movie and at the same time not really wanting to watch it. Um, <laughs> it, it had like a very David Fincher-y type vibe for me where I was like, all right, this this is going to be brooding as f***. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> um, and I think for the first like hour of this movie, it is pretty much perfect. It, I, I mean, it follows uh, Kate and Macer, Emily Blunt's character, as she goes from this already like pretty rugged, grisly world of being an FBI agent into the world of the cartels and covert operations. And there's a, a long sequence towards the beginning of this movie where they go into Mexico and are coming back. And that, I thought that was just like awesome filmmaking. Like, it did such a good job of setting the mood of this terrifying place and building up this very, very hopeless type situation that would envelop the movie. Um, then the middle, like, 45 minutes, I was still really on board for it. It, it was more of, like, plateaued a bit. It felt more like a slow-burning procedural type movie. Um, and I liked that because it felt like it was giving you little doses of grisly and horrifying and then giving you long stretches of confusion and bureaucracy, yeah. which I think is like the point you're supposed to feel like, like a kind of nihilism of like terrible things are happening and nobody even cares <laughs> about them. Like they're just another part of the workday. Um, and somewhere along the way, towards the end, like maybe the final act, 
the movie just kind of went off the rails to me. It, it became a different sort of thing. And it it didn't feel like it paid off the characters that it had built up or the scenario that it had created. It felt like it decided to just do this um, kind of descent into more of a classically violent shoot 'em up type movie. Yeah. And I'm not sure I, A, understand what happened and why things went down the way they went down. We, we might have to do spoilers to talk about it. Um, we, we might have to. Yeah. <laughs> and B, I don't understand the motivations of the characters. And looking back after the movie, the question I had was, was this like a well-done harrowing movie with a point or was it a sadistic movie that eventually showed itself to be just totally empty to me at the end? Um, and I still don't actually know what what my answer is. I feel like the movie definitely didn't wrap up in a satisfying way and I'm not sure it justified itself to me, but I know whatever it did, whatever combination of grisly violence with like long slow exposition like whatever that recipe was it put me in a deeply deeply uncomfortable place when i left the theater (laughs) i just can't tell if that is like good or not well let me answer that question for you steven (laughs) (laughs) i i think i can sum up my feelings on this film in uh, one sentence. I will use more sentences, but I can start with one sentence. Basically, I think this is a great presentation of a shitty script. Mm. And I, while you were talking, you know, I kind of pulled up IMDb my phone, clicked the guy who wrote it, saw what else he wrote. This is the only thing that he's written that's currently finished. But uh, under in development, apparently there's a Sicario 2. Ooh. And I was like, you know, maybe it just has a name that sounds like it's the second movie. So I tapped on it and it says uh, the follow-up to a 2015 film Sicario, which centers around blah, 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 blah. And I – it makes me a little sad um, Mm -hmm. just because I I, I honestly think that this – this is a, a really compelling to watch film that seems to have a lot of weight. But when you really think about any aspect of the story, it's a terrible story. Like it's not, there isn't a lot happening. Like I, and there's a lot happening, but like it doesn't feel like the, the film really knows much of what it's going for other than the mood and the tone, which those are all things that you can kind of do being you know the director and like with with your production as opposed to needing the actual story elements to kind of convince you of anything because i i feel like we don't get a lot of information about the the characters backstories where they come from what they're doing um their real motivations behind things why we have a whole operation to do something with one person when like you could easily do it with a whole crew of people like there, there's a lot of Things that don't really make sense in the story in a way other than somebody thought it sounded really cool on paper. Mm-hmm. And and like it, it it's it's really confusing because like 
there are amazing scenes in this film, like like the the scene where they actually go into Mexico to yeah. try to bring pe- somebody back. Like that scene is great. Yes, and that, that is one of the best scenes of the year that I've seen. I think. Yeah, no, it, I mean it, it's fantastic from every aspect of it. It's like, executed so well. It's really it's 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 compelling. It is like. It's terrifying in the like. It's almost like when they're when they're just going in. There there are there's more terrifying imagery, but like how that scene resolves is just this like, y- you know, shit's about to hit the fan, and you're just waiting for it to, and you don't know who's gonna come out of it, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just you have this sense of dread. And like when I think back to uh, the film Enemy, like there in Enemy, one of the things I loved is that like the like over the over not saturated but like basically there there was just a very very loud like droning uh intense soundtrack to that film that made you uneasy all the time like the film built dread in an amazing way and this film does the exact same thing like it's really heavy music that gives you the sense that something scary is about to happen and it's just people driving in a car and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, <laughs> like what's, what's going on? What's going to happen to the car? What's going to happen to the people? Like, I don't know. Just I feel uncomfortable. And it, and it builds this just like this impending doom feeling at all times during this film. And it's really interesting to watch. But like when you think about the like the mechanics of the plot and what's happening, it doesn't really – there's nothing compelling happening on – paper it's only visually compelling and auditorily compelling and um visually and conceptually compelling but like the raw elements to what is happening in the story aren't saying a lot and don't really seem that impressive to me Mm -hmm. i i think that definitely hits at a lot of my issues too that it's a great presentation of a shitty script so i would say it is a frequently great presentation of a shitty script. <laughs> I feel like there are definitely stretches of this movie, again, towards the end, where I didn't feel like the director was doing much with presentation either to elevate it. It was more just like, I don't know what is going on or why it's going on, and whatever it is is being shot traditionally with lots of close-ups of Emily Blunt's face being horrified <laughs> by things. Um, and that's that's the thing. It's like there's nothing magically stylistic or anything about the presentation, but I consider like the the combination of just like character reactions with the music and the scene that's happening, regardless of the 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 story contextual context. I don't know why I said contextual context, but like it, it's it's not that it's being heightened by the directing. It's that the the scene itself has enough dread and enough uncertainty happening separate from the story that it's interesting as opposed to like being like sweet mad filmmaking style that's elevating it (laughs) yeah it the director definitely knows how to build dread extremely well and i think that build-up of dread is what like carried me out of the theater it's why i really felt like exhausted watching this movie i was just like oh my Jesus Christ. Apparently no Christ. There was no Christ in my mind no after Christ. that. It was just it just said Sicario period Jesus period. Yeah, but but yeah, then I don't know when I the problem is so this movie didn't seem like 
it made sense specifically in terms of plot or characters, but then also even in terms of message. Like, I feel like a movie this kind of dark and nihilistic about uh, the drug war is clearly trying to say, like, it's futile or it's all for nothing or trying to sound the alarm for something. But then, like, the movie doesn't really say much about that either. I mean, there, there's a point in this film towards the end where Emily Blunt sees something that makes her very angry. And she has to have a long conversation with Josh Brolin about, like, the gray areas of law. And I can't, for the life of me, tell you what it is that made her feel that way. Like, like I, I don't actually understand what the characters in this movie, who are not us with an omnipotent view, what they saw that would outrage them <laughs> at all, actually. Yeah, and there's also problems with the fact that, like, her partner will be like, my God. And then she'll be like, no, we've got to do this. And then like, she's like, Josh Brolin, why are we doing this? Like, <laughs> like in the, in the course of one scene, yeah. she'll go from like in her head being fully justified to suddenly not when there's no context that has changed. You know, she, she knows as much as she needs to know to gauge whether their actions are right or not. But like, depending on the scene, she's either gung ho or she's not. And there doesn't seem to be a, a cohesive like through line to where her, like this isn't a story about a person who's by the books who suddenly learns that like maybe by the book is not the best way to get something done. You know, like that's Mm -hmm. not this story. It's also not a story of this like gung ho full metal bitch, you know, to bring in her character from something else who like is just willing to go with, to all lengths to achieve her goal. Like it, it's really a, a muddy sort of not really understandable arc for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she, she's clearly meant to be the audience surrogate of the movie. Like she's supposed to be the one who, when she gasps and is looking horrified and is confused, that is supposed to be our outlet to feel that. But too often I didn't feel like she was the audience. It was more like she was the thing holding up a sign telling the audience, now you're supposed to feel horrified. Now you're supposed to feel outraged. Um, like, be, just because the movie... I'm, I'm okay with confusion. Like, I'm okay with a movie having a hazy plot where you are not quite sure what's going on. What I didn't really like is that the plot felt hazy, but then her response and the way I feel like we are supposed to act is as if it were certain and not hazy, <laughs> which which has made it feel, I don't know, like strange to me. Like maybe the editor of this movie chopped out like 10 scenes that would have made a thing made sense and they still kept all the beats of the movie, even though like the actual exposition was missing. So so you're saying that you kind of feel like the film is talking to you in a language. It's like, yeah, aren't, aren't we smart? Like, we've got this. But it's not giving you enough information to, like, know why it even thinks it's smart. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that there's some jigsaw puzzle here that all fits together and makes it a brilliant plan. I feel like 
things behave a certain way and the plan unfolds the way it does to maximize the number of cool or brooding or moody shots in the movie. Yeah. Um, and speaking of things which are in there for no reason, one thing that just did not work for me at all is the director frequently tries to do this thing that we've seen before. We've seen in Breaking Bad. We've seen in all sorts of movies where he shows a character who is unrelated to what is happening. <laughs> oh, God. I hated that so much. Over and over, trying to make you be like, what is this person going to do? Why are we watching this person? But rather than unfold in some like clever way, where the way this person becomes involved makes it all fall into place like lock, stock, and two smoking barrels or something. Um, it just feels like he was trying to tug at your heartstrings so hard, like trying to force you to feel empathy in the most like banal, shallow way. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why the director chose to ever show this character. <sighs> yeah, it, like it would be nicer if the the payoff for that was actually a payoff instead of just like a letdown. Like the, the only payoff for that that I can see is the closing scene of the movie, but it would be just as meaningful without having ever seen those people before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, I don't know. I found this movie kind of perplexing because this, this is a movie that is getting like almost unanimous critical acclaim right now. Like, extremely high claim as a smart brooding look at the drug cartel the um the apocalypse now of the mexico u.s drug war and i see it as many things i see it as like a well done exercise in building tension but i don't understand how people can see it as like smart or meaningful i feel like it doesn't know what it wants to say or if it does it doesn't know how to tell us any more than like an angsty punk song knows that it's mad but it doesn't actually know <laughs> why <laughs> don't you talk about those angsty punk songs <laughs> I, know, I know you love them um but no yeah it, it feels this film like wants to be one part traffic one part training day mm -hmm. and it kind of doesn't execute either of those things very well um but it does execute in that it is good at building dread. And I think that, like, there is an aspect to, to, to it that, that makes it entertaining enough. Um, but I, it does really feel lacking in the story and point department. Um, but there, there's also something else that I kind of wanted to, to ask you about because um, I've seen a few things written up online. And I saw Emily Blunt on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And they were talking about how um, the writer was approached, or the, the, the basically the entire filmmaking, everybody involved, like approached the writer and was like, "If you rewrite Emily Blunt's character as a man, we can up the budget by a third or something like that." Hmm. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and obviously, you know, it's like shitty. You know, we, oh, let's just put a man in there. We'll get more money. It's great. Um, but. I know that, like, I forget the quote from Emily Blunt in the story, but, like, something about how, like, it changes the context of the film uh, if you rewrite her character as a man. And I wanted to know what how you feel about... Um, I, I don't think her character gets, like, a very strong portrayal. Like, she's 
there are plenty of times where she's she's shown as being weak and i don't think her arc is like basically i don't think this is a great female role like this isn't an, 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 another example where people are going to be touting like yes that was a really well written female part like she plays the victim the whole movie and she doesn't have a lot of scenes where she can really shine and like hold her own i guess right um i actually thought about this a lot after the movie and it, it's it's interesting that they actually openly discuss the idea of this needing to be a female role and resisting the urge to make it a male role. Because I thought, if anything, this was like a very traditionally female role to give, like not a progressive, strong role. It's the role of the the woman who is the moral compass, who is horrified at what the evil men in the world do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, she does have her badass nature that that's mostly in the beginning and then decreasing <laughs> from there. Um, but but even like her, her badass nature at the beginning, what constitutes badass nature is that she can be part of a, um, not infiltration team, but like, uh, I don't know, maybe it is infiltration. Ba- basically she, she's part of a hostage rescue crew and she does like a SWAT break-in at the beginning mm-hmm. of the film and she manages to not get shot in the face by a shotgun. Yeah. Like, but, but besides that, she isn't like, she's not like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I can't, I don't, I don't know the best way to say it without like sounding like I'm trying to say like hanging with the boys, but I mean like she's. I just don't feel the the character is very empowered, and she easily could have been. Yeah, I I definitely don't see her as empowered. Yeah, like a- any time she comes up against another male character, she's literally beat down. Like mm-hmm. she, there's there's never, I don't know. I I just think they could have written that part in a in a way more interesting way and really given her a chance to um, really come into her own over the course of the film. But instead, like we see her as as like the lead of this team and then from then on out she's playing catch up with with all the big boys in the the weird rough and tumble um groups of shady government dealings and stuff like that yeah i mean victoria and i talked about it there's one moment at the very end where they could have undone that and made her be a much more strong character <laughs> um and they don't choose to go that route um, yeah but yeah and the thing is i i didn't detriment the movie for that i felt like from the get go her function of the movie is to be horrified and so is ours and none of the none of the actions that happen in the movie are seen as like heroic or a positive thing so it stands to reason that being badass in this world is not necessarily a good quality to have um but definitely if if the movie has done anything to pretend that it is making a strong female role or try to bank on that, then that's bullshit. Because, yeah, this is a completely not at all out-of-the-box role for a, for a woman in Hollywood to have. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, she literally loses every fight she's ever in, as far as I know. <laughs> Except she wins the battle with the shotgun at the beginning. Yeah, that's true. But that's just a cartel thug, so it's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... It's strange because I think the 
There are no real main characters here. I mean, she is the main character ostensibly, but she's not given the, the sort of arc that we can latch onto, I think. Um, Benicio Del Toro, by certain parts of the movie, <laughs> to not give too much away, sort of functions in that role temporarily, but definitely not as the object of our empathy. Um, yeah. And Josh Brolin basically functions as the the human manifestation of the fact that shit doesn't make sense and don't try to understand it. <laughs> um, which, like, I think that combination does do a good job of building tone because it is putting you in the dark and putting you in the situation where the one empathetic character doesn't know what's going on and the other people don't care enough to tell her. But it it still feels like they could have done more with all of them like they could have focused on any one of those characters and built them up. And instead I think they used them only in service of like ambiance and not in service of plot or story. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Still with, without giving away spoilers, some things that happened towards the end still chilled me <laughs> like an unpleasant way. I think it, it, it's too hard to talk about it vaguely. <laughs> I yeah, no, try. And we, we, we can definitely have a, a little spoiler section. Um, okay. Should we just get straight to the verdict then so we can talk about spoilers? Because there there are some things that I um, that I would like to talk about, especially at least one uh, scene with Emily Blunt um, where her performance is really good. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, um, all right, so let's get to the verdict then. So, Stephen, if you're going to give this a must-see, a recommend the caveat, a wait for rental, pass with the caveat, or a must-avoid... What would you give it? Yeah, uh, this is probably me not being willing to grade on a curve enough. Uh, I think I have to give this a recommend with a caveat. I think tonally, the first, if I could have watched the first like 45 minutes of this movie and then walked away, this is a absolute must-see movie. Um, <laughs> You're going with the, uh, the, the, the patented schnazy if the power went out and I couldn't yeah. watch the rest of the movie. Yeah, but Scale. much more, much more than like Z for Zachariah or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this was just a, it was tonally very strong for a while, but the way that it faltered and the way that it failed to make sense, it was kind of inexplicable to me. And like, it's hard to fully root for a movie that makes such kind of bizarre decisions. <laughs> So I recommend with a caveat, like doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but definitely built ambiance very well. Yep. Um, for me, it's going to drop itself down to a little wait for rental just because, um, um, I mean, you got to at least see it, right? Because Sicario 2 is going to be out in another year or so. Um, <laughs> and then there's going to be the whole Sicario universe that follows. <laughs> um, oh, God. I hope there's not like a whole series of Sicario. <laughs> <laughs> Better call Alejandro. <laughs> oh man anyways um the yeah I, I just it's it's a film that that not only wants to be good but i want it to be good like it's its ability to build dread is really interesting and you know like there is an aspect to it that might be worth seeing in theaters just because of the feeling those intense musical moments and just the dread that they are kind of instilling in you while people are just driving in a car to an unknown scenario in which you don't know exactly what's going to go down. 
that kind of stuff is great, but like the lacking of the story and the plot and and things that make sense just have to drop it down to a wait rental for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, in a moment, we're going to get into spoilers, but uh, for the people who aren't going to join us in spoilers, Stephen, uh, where can people find you if they want to? Uh, you can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller, sdavidmiller.com, or I might be standing outside on balconies. <laughs> um, people can find me over at christopherlife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can use the contact forms on our site, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Music for the episode will come from the soundtrack to Sicario. So I hope you're feeling the dread of that dropping music behind you now. Um, The music is going to fade up shortly and uh, when the music fades back down, we will be in full-blown spoilers for this film. So, for the rest of you, we will see you later, or you will hear us later. And for everybody who's going to stick with us, get ready, because uh, we got some stuff to talk about. Alright, so we are back. This is spoiler territory for the Spoiler Warning Podcast and our review of Sicario. Um, We're going to be talking full-blown spoilers for this film, so please, if you don't want to be spoiled, tune out now. Um, Steven Miller. Yep. What would you like to talk about first? Uh, I mean, let's start at the very end. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where every good story should start. I guess there are a few things at the very end. I'll, I'll start with the big the major ending arc which is they have gone they've discovered this tunnel they go through they are making a bunch of noise it seems trying to weed people out from the tunnel also benicio del toro can get into a place where there happens to be a police officer who just barely hasn't left yet (laughs) <laughs> so he can drive away with him. And Emily Blunt, upon seeing him point a gun at a criminal, gets angry at him and says, stop right there and points a weapon at him. And this is the thing that drives her over the edge and makes her be like, this is terrible. This cannot happen. Like, well, what he, uh, What did she see? What happened in that moment to turn her? Well, she, he was pointing a gun at a cop. <laughs> yeah, but it, the cop had a car full of like heroin but she wasn't paying attention to that she was blinded by no, I'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> clearly mm-hmm. well i i think there's a problem even going further back than that with the same scene like so well no it's, it's two separate issues so i'll come back to it so anyways yes so emily blunt out of nowhere is suddenly really upset that benicio del toro is doing something that is not shocking on the tunnels mm-hmm. um and I agree, I have no idea what she thinks that is, or why she's upset. I mean, I, I get why she'd be pissed that he shoots her, because yeah. <laughs> I'd be pissed too. But she does point a gun at him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And he does tell her that I shot you just so that you know not to point a gun at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so really, she she got what was coming to her. Yeah. Um, like, so, why? In the grand scheme of everything, like, imagine, I guess the story of this is the CIA wanted Benicio Del Toro Alejandro to get in there so he could assassinate the big boss. And for some reason, the way to do that was to go through this tunnel and kill people and hop in a cop car. Like, why? I don't, I don't see why anything that happened in the whole movie was required for the final killing scene to happen. Yeah, so, so here, here's the main problem. Um, now that we've, like, we're excusing Emily Blunt's character's involvement right now. So Benicio Del Toro is a man from Mexico who was involved with the cartels somehow or was consequently involved with the cartels. I think he was involved as a prosecutor. So he was like either sympathetic or very against these particular cartels. Yeah. And the cartels were pissed enough to uh, kill and I assume rape because that's what they do in these type of movies. um, The wife and then throw the, the daughter in a vat of acid. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, he has enough reason to um, to go and kill this man. But at this point in time, he's already in Mexico, right? Yeah. So he's in Mexico. He could just go storm the boss's place because it turns out there's only six people that guard this <laughs> leader of all the cartels in Mexico, um, which makes no goddamn sense. Basically, <laughs> this man is not protected in any way whatsoever, but rather than... Rather than just attack the guy and get his revenge, he's going to do the long game. Yeah, he flees (laughs) the United States where he somehow convinces members of the United States government that the way they can disrupt the network of the cartel is to combine forces and sneak back into Mexico, but not after smuggling somebody out of Mexico that will then convince somebody else who's in the U.S. to go into Mexico where they'll happen to be doing it on the same night that they sneak in so that he can steal a cop car so he can come up behind him so that he can pull him over so that he'll actually stop so that he can kill him. So that he can just drive to the place he could have gone to anyways. (laughs) Well, but it gets weirder because I don't think this happened in recent history for him. I'm pretty sure he says that he's been in Colombia for a while, like ostensibly working with the Colombian drug cartel, like the opposing cartel. Yeah. And so like his long con is even weirder. His long con is like to become the leader of a rebel cartel and then rope in the CIA involvement. But he's not even the leader of that other cartel. He is a Sicario, which means hitman. So Mm -hmm. he's basically just like a... He's like this weird ghost figure now who doesn't belong to any... He's like a Ronin. You know, yeah. like he's this, he's this like samurai with no master that is just going around and killing people. He can't go around killing people. <laughs> um, so it's just... It, the story makes no sense. And like that's the thing is, so they need a guy to get so scared by them bringing a guy from Mexico to the U.S. that he will leave the U.S. and go to Mexico. <laughs> but like... I guess the only reason they needed him to go back is so that he could get the car to the front gate, even though there's only three guys there. Like, Well, but even even if that was the plan, why didn't they just 
they're the CIA. Why didn't they just have a cop car in Mexico already? Like, why do they need to break across the border at breakneck speed the moment they find out this guy is crossing the border? Yeah, I, I, I honestly... I don't get it. And, and so now to loop it back into Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt, who knows less, much less of this convoluted plan than we do, all she knows is this guy who is shady pointed a gun at a police officer and drove away. And this is enough to lead to a confrontation with Josh Brolin, where he has what I imagine is supposed to be one of the meaningful dialogues of the movie. Where he explains what Medellin is. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) Medellin refers to a time when the CIA decided it was better to have one cartel in power than many. Do you understand? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that has nothing to do with what I asked you. (laughs) I mean, I, I I get the standpoint of like, look, cartels warring over each other plus all the shit they pull in our area is, is bad enough. But if we can narrow it, if we can help put one cartel into power, well, I mean, this just leads back to everything you're reading about in your crazy history books. I was going to say for, that, yeah. It's always yeah. put the pliable puppet in power rather than yeah. the we'll, uncontrollable we'll, people. Yeah, we'll put the one we can control. Like So, so like, their, their, their overall plan of what they want to do, I'm like, that is a compelling enough idea because that's what our government does all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the problem is how they're like, so I guess they discovered Benicio del Toro's character and then decided, well, like we can't get to this guy, even though they prove they can by finding the tunnel, because instead of sending him in by himself to enact revenge, they could have all gone over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess the idea is that if they ended up not succeeding in their mission, then suddenly we have a war with Mexico if they find yeah. the bot. Like, I, I guess you can make that argument, but the characters don't. Yeah, they, I mean, they want it to be covert so they don't cross the border and kill people. They let him do it. Yeah, They like, just facilitate it, him doing it. In a, in a better, although maybe more cliche story, a character would have been manipulating Benicio del Toro to send him on this chase maybe even act like, oh, yeah, this is totally the cartel guy that killed your family. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, like that's the kind of thing that would happen. But instead it's like, uh, we're going to team up. We're going to get you through. And then as soon as you're through, we're just going to be like, all right, see you, go do your thing. And, you know, Rivaderci. You know, like, yeah. like, it's not, it doesn't make sense what their plan was. And like, it doesn't make sense that, that the head of this cartel that's so big and scary that is lopping off the heads of people and hanging them from bridges, he's got three guards at the front gate and then he just sits in the back with his family eating dinner in the open. Like, yeah, really? I've seen enough movies to know that like the head of the cartel has more guards than that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's true. I... Unless he's the guy who hasn't legally been linked to any of this, you know, like the untouchable head of the cartel. And that's supposed to be the idea is nobody can get him. But you would think the Warren cartels could still get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is why wouldn't any of the other Warren cartels have already just raided the house that has three guards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's why the movie really went off the rails for me at this part, because it does become a kind of, like... I. People have called it a revenge thriller. I wouldn't call it that because I don't think 
Benicio del Toro is ever the protagonist or the person we are caring for or seeing the world through. But it does become this kind of weird, like, Tarantino-ish type quest to murder this guy in just one extended scene that shows him going from point A to point B. And I just don't know why. Like, and it's still basked in the grisliness of it there. Like, the point I was referring to before about not wanting to give anything away without going in spoilers is there's the moment where he's sitting at the table talking to the cartel leader with his gun pointed at him. And he's describing what he did to him, how he wants to get revenge. And at that moment, I knew this was a flawed character. This is a character I don't like. He's a person with one passion, which is to get revenge, and he's willing to kill other people to do it. Hence him killing the police officer. And like the way that that guy dies, like I get what the director was trying to do. It's one of those like deaths happen like that. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to anyone. Um, but but still like such an inconsequential use of a guy you've spent like 20 minutes of the movie showing me. Um, also, if that guy was getting fat stacks of cash, why would he live in like a hut Yeah, <laughs> where he has to eat like eggs and beans every meal because he can't afford to do anything? Hey, well, maybe they just like that. <laughs> but, but anyway... Well, he could at least afford to buy his son a decent soccer ball. Sure. <laughs> but, but so, okay, up until this point at the very end of the movie... I could still believe that the point is there's this um, there's this gradient between people like Emily Blunt who think we have to play by the rules, people like Josh Brolin who are like gray errors are fine, we got to push back, we got to do shady stuff too. And then Benicio Del Toro would be the extreme of that, of the guy who's like anything at all costs, I'm going to kill this guy and I don't care what casualties happen along the way. The moment he shoots the kids, that possibility goes out the window. Like, he is no longer representative of anything to me except for just a killer, like a bloodthirsty killer on a revenge mission. And, like, I don't know, the movie really just, whatever little message there was, that was kind of like the end of it for me. Like, when did this become a big revel in blood revenge movie yeah <laughs> like when did this stop being at all about the government or the war on the cartels <laughs> when did this become sicario <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but i i mean i i feel like in the context of the scene yeah i mean you you do want the cartel guy to get his comeuppance right like in a way because mm. you've seen all these horrors and a trot like this guy is literally having people killed and then the stuccoed into the freaking walls of a, a building right sure um or drywalled into the wall i don't know I, I you can tell how much construction stuff i understand um but so he, he that guy is a monster sure. and the only way you kill a monster is by sicking a monster on him so there's some aspect to it but like there is there is sort of not a like <laughs> like so he kills all the family she's like all right cool like not not cool but you know you're, you're <laughs> sorry <laughs> misspoke there you're like you're like oh shit like you know that's pretty insane and he's like now you sit there and finish your dinner 
and then just shoots him anyway. Yeah. Like there, there's no like, yeah, like there's no time for him to even savor the pain of what just happened. Yeah, like like you're 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 talking about like how like it wants to be. It's like it wants to be a Tarantino esque type of scene, and like in a Tarantino scene, that scene would be 15 minutes of him explaining how his children just died to yeah. him while he's eating the rest of his chicken. You know. Um, and that scene in a Tarantino movie would be intense enough that, like, it would say something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but instead, we just have this thing where it's like, all right, cool. Benicio Del Toro shot some people. Great. And oh, I credits. guess that's what's weird to me. Like, that's that's why I was kind of walking away wondering if this movie was meaningful or sadistic. Because at that point, like you said, there's no big... There's nothing you get from killing the kids. It doesn't become that scene, the Tarantino one. It doesn't become the thing that's meant to feel enormous to you. It's just like they wanted to have the scene play out the way it does, where he's an expedient killer who doesn't feel things. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's kill some kids while we're at it. This is a dark movie. That's what dark movies do. (laughs) And And then let's bring it back to Emily Blunt's character, too. Like, So before I was talking about how there's the... There, there's her back and forth of like in one scene she's saying a line like like are you telling me that i'll have a chance to bring this guy down let's do it and then like the next scene she's like no i'll tell everyone mm-hmm. and it's like her her character's written is like a complete idiot like they just went in and shot up a tunnel for full, full of people and she's threatening to tell everyone they're in the they're they're like they're, they're one step into Mex- like mexico like she doesn't have to come back. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, all they have to do is, like, say, like, oh, yeah, she died when we breached this tunnel or whatever. You know, like, she died in the line of duty. Give her casket a medal and then, like, pretend like she was a hero. But, like, it doesn't make sense that her character would be like, oh, no, I have to be honest. I need to try to bring you guys down, even though clearly you don't operate under the rules of law and mm-hmm. you are willing to go to extreme lengths to facilitate your goals like you're not gonna let me do anything to stop you like i don't know and well and then the the end when benicio del toro comes back and has to get her to sign a piece of paper like victoria was harsher than this on this than i was (laughs) but like that scene exists only in movie world because in real world she can sign whatever the fuck piece of paper he wants and then go to the press and the authorities and say, by the way, I was just forced at gunpoint to sign a thing. This yeah. is the crazy stuff that happened. <laughs> like, well, no, it says right here you signed oh, it. No, that's it. Piece of paper. That's your name. But, you know, signatures it, can't be forged. There, there, there's a worse crime than that, right? So there's they, they put in this scene early on, um, or they, they start to develop this weird thing where like, there's almost this, like Benicio del Toro looks at Emily Blunt very, we'll call it longingly, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it's maybe ambiguously supposed to be a sexual tension type of thing, maybe. Classic then, Brad Pitt. Huh? What's that? Classic again? Brad Pitt. Yeah, classic Brad Pitt. Um, so it, it, it's ambiguous. It's ambiguous on purpose because you think maybe he's into her or attracted to her or something. And then he says something like, you remind me of someone I used to know or something like that. And that that line is written there 
so that you can pay off the knowledge that you finally learn about his daughter. Mm -hmm. Right? So you're like, okay, cool. So it was foreshadowing. Good. The problem is contextually at this point in time, Emily Blunt knows what that whole interaction was. So this is a man whose daughter was thrown in a vat of acid and he's now going to shoot a woman that reminds – like the whole thing is that like he – the whole reason he shot her in the side before was because he doesn't want to kill her, mm -hmm. right? He had to disable her, but he would never shoot his own daughter who she reminds him of. So like there's this psychological issue there that Benicio del Toro couldn't really kill her because he'd be shooting his own daughter, like the living image of his daughter, right? Right. <laughs> like so I feel that like – there could have been something there where she, this is her one chance to actually exert emotional strength against Benicio del Toro because she knows that he won't do it. But instead, she has to be neutered once again and given the short shrift. And it just, it's annoying. And then the scene I was alluding to when she points the gun at him out the window that could have been the final moment in like a true grit style or something or you know a tarantino style movie where she caps him and then the movie's over and like in this one moment she displayed some form of strength even if it isn't the moral one that she's had um she does something or they could have even pulled it into like the minority report thing where she like reads him his Miranda rights or something, you know, like playing into she's the objective one who's following the law and she's going to bring things to justice. There's, but then they all... lower it. Like she lowers it. She literally does nothing. And, yeah. and it ends with him saying like, this is the land of wolves and you're not a wolf. That's basically a big like Fuck you to strong female characters. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... You're not a wolf. They they could there's even two cliche options they should have gone should have gone or could have gone with where one she shoots the ground next to his feet like I could shoot you right now but I'm not going to or she like instead of just putting the gun down she like shoots her gun off into the air all pissed like oh, I want to shoot you but I'm not going to you know mm -hmm. what I mean like there, there's so many options they could have done besides just like I'm too weak and frail to shoot you and it's mm -hmm. it's just sad yeah and like. As an allegory for our civil, you know, police departments and the rule of law, like, okay, I get it. Like, this is an all-powerful force and you can't do anything to stop it. But as a character with any semblance of, like, inner life, it just doesn't make sense how that scene goes down. <laughs> it, it's yeah. just really weird. Like, and, and the whole movie, she's just pivoting between, like, being terrified and just wanting to survive to being willing to go at all costs to do the right thing. She like just pivots from being very brave to not brave at all. And there's no arc or rhyme or reason to how those pivots happen. It's just like alternating frequently enough that you remember, oh yeah, she's supposed to be a good person and oh yeah, she's terrified. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, her, like, in Southpaw, I was talking about when, when the wife is shot in Southpaw, that, like, that was, like, the first time in a movie where I actually felt the impact of what was happening. Like, it wasn't just, like, a crying moment, person dying, make tears. It was, like, a, oh, shit, like, I am really, this is insane. Like, this this feels like what it would be like if somebody was 
shot and another person was grieving in the moment, confused about how to save her, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the scene where uh, Emily Blunt brings back the cop to her apartment and then realizes the cop is bad guy and they have that fight, like, that is a f***ing intense scene. (laughs) Like, I, that was, like, I've seen a lot of movies where somebody chokes out somebody else and this was far more crazy to me than than most of those totally agreed that was a very intense scene my my only negative toward it is that signified to me and the whole movie was signifying to me she's about to get into a lot of trouble this is the (laughs) beginning of what's to come for her like like she was seen by the cartel and now shit is gonna go down and instead, no, that is also like the last time, <laughs> the last time anything bad happens to her. It's the only time it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly constructed movie. <laughs> I told you, told you not to go in that bank. <laughs> Don't want to go in there. <laughs> Don't do it now. Don't you go in that bank. <laughs> uh, good times. Settle down with a nice guy, Jason Siegel. Go, go get engaged somewhere. Move to Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, <sighs> Christos Schnizzi. So you excited to review Sicario 2? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this time they'll have two women characters. Yeah, I think one... I think I would like this movie a lot more if Breaking Bad had never happened. <laughs> I, I, was, I had a half-formed joke in my head where I was like... I was like, "Come on! If an old, if an if an old chemistry teacher dying of cancer can take on the cartel, so should this police force be able to?" We're not ready for a woman to do it. <laughs> As a nation, we're not ready. At least, not one without cancer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Miller, Senor Schnese, thank you for joining me. As always, gracias for having me. <laughs> All right, everybody else. If you stuck with us, thank you. Otherwise, no thanks. I don't know. I don't know why we start that like I'm talking to somebody who's not here. 